Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church, and um, it's good to be back with you. It seems like forever since I've been up here. I know it's only been two weeks. Uh, you may think it hasn't been long enough, uh, but to me, it feels like an awfully long time. So um, thanks for having me back. Uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite preachers, uh, pastors of all time, is a guy by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, many of you have probably heard of Spurgeon. He was one of the greatest preachers ever lived. Uh, whoever lived. He was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, and many people would say he was kind of the first megachurch pastor, if you will. Um, Some people would say maybe that that title goes to the Apostle Peter, who one day when he preached had 3,000 people come to his church. That's a pretty big church. Um, But Spurgeon uh, regularly preached in the the mid-1800s to crowds of over 10,000 people. Uh, even in the age before microphones. In fact, in 1857, he once preached to a crowd of 23,000 people at the Crystal Palace in London. Now, you can imagine that's quite a feat in the age before microphones. Uh, you, can, uh, you can see that the voice was something that was very important to preachers back then. In fact, later when Spurgeon founded the Pastors College, uh, which was a school in England to, to train ministers, uh, train people for ministry, um, the preaching prospects, they would actually measure their chests to see if they had lungs that were big enough uh, to be preachers. Now, that's not a requirement anymore. Uh, we have great microphones and speakers, and uh, I, I wear a size medium, okay? So I don't know what I'd be doing if that were still a requirement, but I probably wouldn't be up here. But Spurgeon was also a prolific writer, of sermons especially. I mean, he preached uh, twice a week for 31 years. And so you can imagine he wrote quite a number of uh, sermons. But in one of those sermons, he made this statement, which I love. He, He said, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church until I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. And then he says this, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. He said, still, imperfect as it is, the church, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All of us who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. You know, we're in week five of this series called Follow Me. And this series is based uh, on the ideas in this book by David Platt called Follow Me. It's not, we're not following the book in any way, uh, but it's based on the ideas that some of us were, uh, were motivated out of this book called Follow Me. And as we've been discussing the last few weeks, uh, at the heart of Christianity is this idea that through Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with God. And that the, the author of life, Uh, the creator of the universe, the the God who knit us together pursues us. He pursues a relationship with us, but that in our sin and rebellion against him and against his authority in our lives, that that relationship was severed. And we were cut off, uh, separated from God. But Romans 5.8 says that God God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And in week one of this series, we emphasize how Jesus invites us into relationship with him. But what we haven't talked about yet, and what I want to talk about today, is how Christianity is much more than a one-on-one relationship between me and Jesus. It's also about this community 
of Christ followers, what we call the church. It's these people living together in relationship uh, with one another. And just as God initiated a relationship with us individually, he also initiated a relationship with the church. In fact, the very first time we ever see the word church mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned by Jesus. Uh, It's this time when Jesus's name and fame are growing rapidly. Like everybody's talking about this guy named Jesus. And, and so Jesus sits down his disciples. He sat down his disciples at one point and he said, Who are people, what are people saying about me? Who are people saying that I am? And so the disciples answered and they said, well, some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're Elijah come back from the dead. Some people think you're John the Baptist who's been reincarnated. And Jesus says, well, that's, that's not as important. What I want to know is who do you say I am? Now, let me just pause here for a minute and highlight the significance of this question, okay? I mean, who do you say I am? You know, that's what the heart of this series has been um, for the five weeks we've been in it. Now, who do you say I am? Because this is such an important question. Who is Jesus to you? Because it doesn't matter what religious background you have or, you know, what church your parents went to or if you didn't grow up in the church at all or you grew up in another religious tradition, regardless of your beliefs or backgrounds, we all have to answer this question. Who, does, who is Jesus? Well, the apostle Peter correctly replies. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter. And on this truth, this is where it comes in. He says, on this truth, I will build my church. And see, Jesus promised to build his church, and he has, and he's been doing it for more than 2,000 years. And over the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been building his church one person at a time all over the world, and he's still doing it today, even right here in Genesis Church. We are a part of something so much bigger than just this little group of people, just this little body of believers. We are part of the church, and that's why we love to partner with churches like Grace when we do, we help support their care center and other congregations in the area who are doing God's work. You know, we, we partner with Grace Church to collect food and we have people that serve in their care center. We, we work closely with and other partnerships and we pray frequently for churches like Northview and Bridgeway and Mercy Road and Imagine Church right here in Hamilton County. You know, quite frequently when I tell somebody about our church or I tell somebody where I work, I'll be met with this statement. You've probably heard this. Well, I like God... I'm just not so sure about church. You ever had anybody say that to you? Yeah? Or, or this, I, I'm not really big on organized religion. Come here, we're not very organized. <laughs> or how about this? Have you ever seen this bumper sticker? I like Jesus, I just don't like his people very much. You know, I understand that. And believe me, I do. I hear the sentiment in those statements. I mean, I, I hear the pain that's evident in those statements, the disappointment that probably... Uh, started those statements. And, and just like Spurgeon says, you have not found the church perfect. But still, as David Platt suggests in his book, follow me, he says this, he makes this statement, it is biblically impossible to follow Christ apart from joining his church. He says, in fact, anyone who claims to be a Christian yet is not an active member of a church may not actually be a follower of Christ at all. And that's a big statement. And I want you to hear the completeness of this, okay? I'm not saying that being in church, being part of a church, makes you a Christian, all right? Any more than the old saying goes, any more than being in your garage makes you a car, right? But what Platt is saying, and what I think we'll see today from the scripture that we're going to look at, is that the, the church, the capital C church, and that includes this church, is an essential piece of our personal walk with Christ, 
and that it's an important tool that God uses to carry out his work in the world and that the church is dearly loved by God. It is biblically impossible to follow Christ apart from joining his church. Bill Hybels is the uh, senior pastor of a church called Willow Creek. It's one of the five largest churches in America up in the suburbs of Chicago. And he frequently makes this statement. He says this. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that. I mean, I believe, I honestly believe that this world is going to become a better place, uh, if it's going to be a safer place, if it's going to be a cleaner place, a more loving place, it's not going to happen from the government or, or the governments of this world. It's not going to happen out of obligation for some not-for-profit, non-governmental agency who's founded to, for some specific mission. And it's not going to happen from free enterprise, uh, which has a you know, profit motive. Instead, the only thing that's going to improve this world is the love of Christ, flowing out through his people and built up and empowered by the church. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I'm here. And I'm guessing that's why you're here too. And so Spurgeon says, the church, imperfect as it is, is the dearest place on earth. But I'm sure some of you have a really, really hard time believing that. And I think we have a hard time with that statement generally for one of two reasons. One, maybe it's your history. You know, many of us have been in churches that have disappointed us. You know, we've been a part of a church split or uh, we've been a part of false teaching or Uh, misappropriation of funds or a moral failure. And and, I mean, that should not surprise us at all because churches are full of people and people are not perfect. In fact, if Genesis Church hasn't disappointed you yet, stay with us. I promise you we will. In fact, I still got 20 minutes this morning. It might happen before you go home today. Who knows? The, The second thing that keeps us maybe from believing that the church is the dearest place on earth is your circumstances. I mean, maybe you're in a place right now where your marriage is falling apart or you're having financial struggles and you don't know how you're going to make all those payments you have to make or you're in the middle of a health scare and you're waiting for the test results to come back and you don't really have time to think about being part of a church. Really, are we going to talk about the church this morning when there's so many needs that I have? I mean, can, can we preach about marriage again? I mean, I love it when we do marriage series. Maybe my wife could be here to hear at this time. Or, or how about, how, let's talk about how I can get financial blessing from God, okay? Because I've got bills to pay and my job's just not cutting it and my husband's out of work. I need to hear about how I can be blessed by God. Got a sermon on that? Or hey, let's talk about sex. We, let's talk about sex again. Everybody loves to talk about sex in the church. But I'm telling you that anyone who has ever fallen on hard times and they've been really plugged in to a church somewhere, those people will tell you that the church is really the dearest place on earth. Early in my journey here at Genesis Church, my wife and I had only been coming for about uh, probably six months to a year, and we had started our first connection group. And I remember our group met on Wednesday nights, and um, one Friday night, it was a rainy spring day, and uh, about probably about 8 o'clock at night, and we had a knock on our door. We weren't expecting anybody, and opened the door, and there was a woman standing at the door, and she was crying. And it was a woman we knew. Uh, she was in our connection group. We'd known her for probably three months. She'd been part of our group. And uh, invited her in, and she started crying and just started talking about the problems she was having with her husband and the problems she was having with her daughter. And she had tried to get a hold of her mom, and um, her mom wasn't available to her. And she said, I didn't know where else to go. She said, you guys are my family. And we'd known her for three months. 
But to her, the church was the dearest place on earth. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. For, for the next 20 minutes or so, could you put aside those biases? Can, can you? Because what I want to do is, in the time we have left, I want to paint a picture for you from Scripture of, of what the church should look like and what the church should consist of. And I hope that what you'll see is a body that you think, yeah, if I could really find a church like that, even if it weren't perfect, I'd want to be a part of that. So uh, we're going to start where many, many, many sermons on the church have started before. And so if you have your Bibles, you might open them to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at what it looked like in the very first church after the death of Jesus. Jesus had died, had risen from the grave. He overcame death. And uh, there's this small body of believers, probably about 120 people that are meeting together uh, in Jerusalem in the name of Jesus. And this is what the Bible has to say about that in Acts 2, 42. And this is the very first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so if we look at these, uh, this set of verses here, I just want to take a minute and highlight some of the things that the first church was devoted to, okay? The very first thing we see in verse uh, 242 is they were devoted to teaching. Every time the church was together, there was someone teaching and they were learning something. I love to learn. Do you like to learn? Anybody... Does it, are there any nonfiction readers in the room? Good. Three of you read. Perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> you have a great church. How about documentary watchers? Anybody watch documentaries? A few more? Okay, good. I love to read nonfiction. I love to watch documentaries. I love to learn things uh, about our world. But how about wisdom from the God that created it all? I mean, how important is that? What if every time we get together, we learn something from the God of the universe? We look into his word and dive in and see what God has to say. A fellowship. They, they ate together. They enjoyed one another's company. We all like being around people we like, right? We, we like people we like because they're like-minded with us, right? If we don't like them, uh, we don't like being around them because they're not like us. Like, wow. <laughs> but if we're learning together and studying together, then we become more like-minded with one another and we like each other. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's the third thing we see. They, they prayed for each other. They, they prayed for people outside the church. They prayed, one of the main prayers we see in the early church, they prayed for boldness to spread the gospel. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer and we should do no less. Uh, wonders and signs, they, they were invested in miracles. Miracles were happening all around them. You know, a lot of people say that Uh, We don't have as much faith, you know, like Americans don't have as much faith today because we don't see as many miracles happen. But I can tell you, and I think Jesus would back this up from the scripture I read, there aren't as many miracles now because we don't have as much faith as they used to. You know, we see that all throughout scripture. Jesus tells people, well, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't heal anything because you people didn't have any faith. But even with that, those of us who are around here all the time, we hear stories every week of miraculous things that are happening in our church. It's just incredible. Generosity. It says they gave to anyone who had a need. 
I mean, imagine if your car broke down and you didn't have to go to the bank to get a loan to, to buy a new car or to get it fixed, but your neighbor gives you a car or, or you're short on money for the week and all of a sudden a friend shows up with two armloads of groceries because they know that you're in need and you didn't feel weird or guilty about asking them for what you needed. You know, anytime that there's a, a tragedy that is in our midst or um, an illness, uh, what do we always say? We always say, hey, let me know if I can help, right? And, and we always mean that. I think we always mean that sincerely, but we just, we don't even know what the needs are. And the people who are in that situation don't even really want to ask because they don't want to inconvenience anyone, right? Well, what if, what if it wasn't like that? What if we meant that when we said it and when we heard it, we meant to take them up on it? Like uh, when we knew somebody was sick, we didn't say, hey, let me know if you can, I can help. We just said, I need to help. I'm going to make them a meal or I'm going to um, watch their kids for them or I'm going to do something. What if we were just so proactive about that? That's what the early church was like. They, they were generous. They gave to each other as they had need. Now, here's the result, all right? Here's what scripture tells us that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. You know, we touched on this a few weeks ago, but one of the things that set apart the very first church was that they were admired and respected by non-believers. People outside the church looked inside the church and they saw the love and the generosity and the way they treated each other and they thought, wow, those are nice people. I wonder what that's all about. Most non-Christians, I have to tell you, uh, don't think about the church like that anymore. Um, there's been so much hatred and disruption spewed in the name of Christ that unfortunately, most people don't think of the church as loving and generous and, and tolerant. They think of things like Westboro Baptist Church, you know, protesting the funerals of military men and women. Uh, they think of protesters uh, spitting hatred at young women going in for abortions. They think of people who sit on their front porch and watch the world go by, uh, judging all the way, like um, Stadler and Waldorf on The Muppet Show, you know, just cracking jokes and thinking, boy, I'm really glad I'm not like those people. But let me ask you, when you read Acts chapter 2, when you read just that, that little passage that we just read, doesn't that sound like a group you'd like to be a part of? I mean, would you want to be inside that group or outside of it? I'd want to be inside it. And I know that that church wasn't perfect. I promise you it wasn't perfect. But I think it can be that way again. I mean, but if it's going to be that way again, we all have to be part of that. Like you can't just uh, sit on the outside and hope that it changes. You can't sit on the sideline and wait for the church to clean up its act. You need to pick up a broom and start sweeping. You should be a part of it. In fact, I can think of three reasons why we should all be part of a church. And I put these in your worship program, and this is what I'm going to focus on for the rest of the morning. And so um, I hope that you do that. Now, obviously, I'm not advocating uh, being part of this church, although I'm a big believer in this church. I believe that this church is doing great work in the name of Jesus. Um, I'm partial to this body of believers. I love you guys. I love being a part of it. But what I'm saying is the capital C church, I think there are three reasons we need to be a part of the big church. Uh, Number one is this, the church is inclusive. The church is inclusive. Uh, now, a lot of people will say the church is exclusive. Uh, they feel like well, they don't belong if you're not a part of it. Here's what I mean by that. This is the only place I ever see a CEO serving shoulder to shoulder with a landscaper. It's the only place in the world I see a small business owner eating dinner with an unemployed woman. 
people of different races and nationalities from different schools and different income brackets and different backgrounds singing the same song at the same time to the same God. I mean, in what other universe could the homecoming queen and the president of the chess club be in a small group together? I mean, it doesn't happen in high school. It only happens in the church. In Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to one of the churches, uh, church in Galatia, and he says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ, you know, we had some people baptized here last week. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And now he says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now look at what Paul's saying here. He's, he's not literally saying there are no men and women anymore. I mean, obviously, if a woman's baptized into Christ, she's still a woman. In the same way, in that day, um, if you were a slave, just because you were baptized, you didn't stop being a slave. Um, you were still under the reign of that master. But what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter in God's eyes. He, he says what happens to us when we become a believer is that we become co-heirs with Christ. But, uh, like we have been elevated to the highest spiritual social class. That's what Paul's saying. He he says it's much easier to relate uh, to someone who's in your social class, right? I mean, for most of us, in your social status. Well, that's what happens in the church because the church is inclusive. We've, those of us who have clothed ourselves in Christ are all elevated to that highest social status. And so, you know, time and time again, I can think of times where um, I've been in situations. I, I went to a conference one time. Uh, and it was a church conference, but our company decided to send some people as well. And it was my responsibility to lead our company's team down to this conference. Well, at the same time, our church was sending a group of people too. It was two separate groups. Um, and I was with my company's team and I was with people that I was on the same um, you know, hierarchical level at, at work with. So I was, it was a bunch of directors and there were people that um, some of them were uh, believers, some of them were not believers. It was a, a mixed bag, but they were all people of my social status, if you will. And so we went down to this conference, and at the same time, the church went down to this conference. And then on the first day, I was with my group of guys from work, but I was looking across the little arena at my church friends and watching them uh, worship and engage. And I thought, man, I'd like to be over there. I mean, I was where I was supposed to be, but that was where I was supposed to be, you know? And so on day two, um, I kind of abandoned my group and went and had lunch with my church friends because, you know, I felt included in that. And then by day three, I'd kind of left this group behind and was with my church people. That probably wasn't right, but that was where I felt the most comfortable because the church is inclusive. Some of you who are here are sitting next to someone that you would have never hung out with in high school. Don't look at them, okay? But some of you are sitting with the kind of person who used to be the kind of person that your mom told you not to hang out with. (laughs) Naughty, naughty people. You were a good girl or boy, and you always listened, and they weren't because they were a heathen and you were a Christian. But you know what? Now you've all been clothed in Christ, And you are on the same social status and you are co-heirs with Christ together because the church is inclusive like that. Number two is this, the church is additive. The church is additive. That's a weird word, but let me tell you what I mean by that. Every believer adds something to the church. Each one of you has something to add, you know, something that you bring to the table that nobody else can. Ephesians 2 says it this way. 
Consequently, you're no longer foreigners or strangers. Okay, we're carrying the same theme. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now listen to this. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become, or some translations, your Bible may say, is becoming a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I mean, scripture compares the church to an actual building, like a holy temple to the Lord with Christ as the cornerstone and each one of us as a block in that building or a brick in that building. You know, Ephesians says, each brick is important to the structure. And what that means is that each of you is important to the structure of the church. Every brick that you add to a wall makes it stronger. You ever see a wall with a lot of bricks missing? What happens? Well, it eventually crumbles, right? It doesn't take a lot of bricks to be missing from even the strongest brick wall, and it's weakened to the point where it could crumble. And that also means that every brick that is absent is noticed. You know, we don't have membership here at Genesis Church. Uh, We don't think it's wrong to have members. We just chose not to create kind of two classes of people, members and non-members. But whenever somebody comes to me and says, okay, I'm in, I want to join, I want to be a member uh, of Genesis Church, what do I do? Well, I I point them to the three C's. Uh, The three C's at Genesis Church are uh, three key experiences that we believe that every believer should be growing in those three experiences. They're in your worship program uh, when it talks about us, and uh, they are these, celebrate, connect, and contribute. The first one is celebrate. Uh, You know, when we celebrate, we celebrate together on Sunday mornings, and I love it, like in a morning like this morning with the acoustic set and the choir. Don't you love that? Isn't that awesome? And uh, we we sing together, we worship together, and uh, when you're not here, you're missed, You may think that's crazy, but worship, and we think worship is an individual discipline. There's no doubt about it. In fact, we often say that if you want to have the best worship experience possible on a Sunday, you need to live a worshipful life Monday through Saturday because that's what makes our worship great on Sunday. But when we come together as a church, it's, it's additive. It's a collective celebration as well. I mean, you can see it. It's easier for me, maybe for you, to cut loose with your musical worship in a room of 500 or 1,000, isn't it, than it is with 50 or 100. But when you're not here on Sunday morning, it hurts the dynamics of the church. It actually makes it harder for others to worship. You know, last week during baptism, I was standing backstage and I heard you guys singing, and it was like you were leading me in worship. And the more of you that are here, uh, the better it is. It's good for you to come together. It's good for your soul to worship through music. I hope every time that you come in this room that you laugh a little bit, you cry a little, and you leave feeling closer to God. That's kind of my goal every Sunday morning. I want you to be encouraged every time you walk out of here, even if you're convicted, all right? Even if I, you felt like I punched you in the gut, I want you to leave encouraged. In fact, in the old days, um, they used to say, give them hell, preacher, you know? But instead, I want to give you heaven. I feel like each and every one of you get enough hell Monday through Saturday. And so I think when you come in here, you got to get a little taste of heaven. And that's what happens when we celebrate. Uh, two is connect. If you're part of a group, you may think that that's for your benefit. And it is. It's good for you. It's good for you to be surrounded by like-minded people. It's good for you to have other people around you who are trying to walk the same walk uh, that you are uh, walking. That's a lot of walks. And so uh, when you don't attend, you lose out. There's no doubt that you miss out. 
But did you know that when you miss a week in your connection group, your group suffers? Everybody in your group suffers. Not just because they miss your smiling face, although I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, But believe it or not, you have wisdom that other people in your group don't. And no matter how much or how little you know about God and his word, you bring a perspective that is completely unique to you. In fact, in Ephesians 3, the apostle Paul writes, uh, his intent, he's talking about Jesus, okay? His intent was now through the church. Listen to this. This is so good, guys. If you don't read your Bible, read your Bible, okay? (laughs) The manifold wisdom of God through his church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Believe it or not, God uses his church, okay? He uses his people, you and me, to make his wisdom known. And not just on earth, but scripture says in the heavenly realms. I don't understand completely how this works. Okay, but somehow you and I have a role to play in ministering to angels. Like we administer manifold wisdom of God, scripture says, to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms. The angels are ministered to by us. The demons are affected by our wisdom, the wisdom that God has given us, that God has given you. Whoa. Since the church is additive, you're missed when you're gone and when you decide not to be a part of the church. That's why we connect together. The third one is contribute. You know, your talents and abilities are needed to make the church all it can be. Romans 12 says, for each of us, For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given to each of us. You have gifts, you have passions, you have abilities that no one else has. And if the local church is going to be the hope of the world, you need to put them to use. You're you're different from everybody else here. And that can cause friction, by the way. If you haven't noticed that already, it gets you frustrated. It makes you want to quit sometimes if you don't see eye to eye with a certain person in that ministry or certain church, okay? In fact, I love it. Some people will say, well, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, right? Proverbs 27, 17. You ever heard that before? Have you ever seen iron being sharpened? (laughs) It's a violent process. It, It takes heat. It takes pounding. It produces sparks. Anybody feel like you're being sharpened right now? But that same diversity and passion of gifts can stretch the church and stretch other believers and become instrumental in seeing the good news of Jesus spread throughout the world. I mean, imagine somebody gets you a gift for your birthday and they put a lot of time and effort and thought into it and you open that gift and you think, I'm not quite sure what to do with this. Maybe you don't have to imagine that at all. Okay, maybe it's already happened. And so you take that gift and you put it on a shelf somewhere and you think someday I'll think about what I'm supposed to do with that gift. And every once in a while, that person calls you and just says, hey, uh, how's that gift I gave you? And you kind of glance over on the shelf and you think, yeah, it's fine. It's good. As you're looking at it, collecting dust, right? All the while it's waiting for it to be used. You know, God has given us each a gift. And when we don't use it to spread his word, to spread his goodness, to spread his kingdom... We're not just neglecting the gift, we're neglecting the giver because the church is additive. Your gifts need to be used. And so the church 
um, is uh, additive. The third one is the church is expensive. I don't mean it's expensive to go here. I mean, in fact, this is probably the only place in the world where you can get life-changing advice, lasting friendships, and have an encounter with the God of all things, and it doesn't cost you a dime. Free bagels and coffee, even a little wine once a month. It's just grape juice, really. The church is expensive. What I mean by that, the church is expensive because it was bought with his blood. Jesus bought it with his blood. Now, what's that? I know you think that Christ went to the cross for you, and he did, but it wasn't just a personal sacrifice. Look at this, Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Have you ever read that verse before? Jesus Christ bought the church with his blood. Jesus bought our church with his blood. Jesus brought Genesis with his blood. That's why I can say with great confidence that you can't truly be following Christ without being plugged in to a local church. He died to afford you that privilege. You know, several times throughout scripture, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. I mean, can you truly love someone without loving his bride? I mean, if I went up to Larry here, and said, Larry, I love you, man. But ever, have I ever told you about how much I can't really stand Kim? <laughs> Nobody ever says that to you, do they? It's always the other way around, right? <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't say that. Why wouldn't you say that? Because that's not a real relationship, right? It doesn't make sense. You know, how, or somebody came up to me and said, Steve, I think you and I can have a relationship, but can we just leave your wife out of it? No, it doesn't work that way. I and my wife are one. The church is the precious bride of Christ. It is inclusive, it is additive, and it was expensive. The church was purchased with the blood of Jesus. You know, sometimes when I talk to people about Genesis, I'll ask, they'll ask this question, well, where is your church? <laughs> or they'll say, uh, I drove by your church today. Well, you know, the church isn't the building, right? So... Really? All of them? You drove by all of my church? You know, all of the people there? They see, this building is not the church. It's only the church when you're here. This building is housed a church, uh, houses a church now. It's housed a church in the past, uh, but it used to be a hardware store. Anybody ever shop for hardware here? Anybody here ever come to the hardware store when it was here? I mean, it's not, there's nothing particularly holy or sacred about this building, except when you're here. And so I thought today, I wanted to issue a challenge to you. Um, because the church is inclusive and additive and because it was expensive and because I honestly believe that you can't have a full um, uh, relationship with Christ without being a part of the church, I want to issue a challenge today. And here's the challenge. If you call this your church home, get involved. Go deeper. You know, sign up to serve in a ministry this morning. Sign up to be a part of a connection group today. If, if this is your church could you make an effort to be here and celebrate with us every Sunday? I know people travel and we've got things to do, but what you need to do is just like I do when I have to make a decision to exercise. You know when, if I'm going to get up early one morning to make that decision, you know when I have to make that decision to exercise? I have to make it the night before, right? And so if I wanted to get up early at five o'clock on Saturday morning to go for a run, I don't make that decision when my alarm goes off because I would always make the wrong decision. And so I have to make that decision on Friday night that when my alarm goes off at five o'clock, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go for a run. And so I'm asking you now, would you make that decision now? 
that when you're here, when you're in town, would you be here on Sunday morning? Now, if this isn't your church home, here's my challenge to you. Find one. Find a place that you can get plugged in. Find a place that you want to serve and you want to be a part of a group because the church is truly the dearest place on earth. It's not perfect, no, but it's better when you're in it. You know, we don't always get involved because we're protecting our heart. You know, I'm going to come to that church. I'm going to get to know a few people's names. I'm going to show up as often as I can make it, but I don't want to get involved in a group because I don't want people to know me too much. If they know me, they'll know my weakness, and then they may learn about my sin. They'll know I'm not perfect. But you know what? Your heavenly Father already knows you're not perfect. He knows your sin, but he loves you anyway. And he sent his son Jesus to the cross to die for you, knowing that you weren't perfect. And if you really want to experience his fullness, you need to be a part of his bride and grow in a relationship with him. You need to be a part of the dearest place on earth. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful that you made a way for us through Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that... uh, The blood of your son bought our lives here on earth. That even though we had severed that relationship through our sin and through our uh, wrongdoing, that you weren't content with that, that you sent Jesus to rescue us from that. But God, just as you saved us personally, I'm thankful that the blood of Christ bought the church. That you paid for this place for us to be uh, together in one body, in one community of believers who are seeking you together. We're working hard to follow you. And so God, I just pray that we do that. I ask you to give us the strength and the power and to overcome our resistance to be known. God, I ask you to give us what it takes, what we need to be a part of this body that's so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than this building or the people in this room, God, but it's a part of a movement that you started 2,000 years ago in the little city of Jerusalem, God, because your son went and died and shed his blood on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you. We're so thankful for that this morning. God, we praise you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.